We are here, Walking Your Excellence. I'm your host, Sean Larry. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Walking Your Excellence. It's going to be a little bit different because I am not going to be hosting. I have someone who is amazing, who actually was on the previous episode. Her name is Natasha Alford. Uh, she is an amazing individual who has just troubled so many different storms in her life uh, from Syracuse, New York. She's a deputy editor of The Griot, where I get all of my information, a Harvard University graduate, a woman who has just transformed the media outlets of today and she is actually going to be here interviewing me so this episode is about your host of walking your excellence and i now introduce you to the wonderful natasha alford well that was a fabulous introduction <laughs> but we're flipping it right back on you sean larry in the building oh man what's up how are you today i'm good i'm good just happy to be here you are glowing from the inside out and oh i God, love it because you're walking in your stop. excellence right I am, I am i'm walking in my excellence every day you're walking in your excellence well one just this platform this podcast is such an incredible idea yeah and and i'm so glad that you started it let's talk about the podcast yes because this is coming from I think you you were called to do this. What, so? Why did you feel like this <laughs> needed to exist? Let's um, start there. Why did I think it needed to exist? I don't know. I, I have always been one to love to tell stories. I grew up like performing. I felt like, you know, I gave my first sermon in church when I was 11 years old. I remember it. I remember taking notes and just standing up there as a young boy in front of like hundreds of people in my church, like giving a sermon. Didn't know what I was talking about. I think it was, my sermon was like, like faith or something. Very simple. But I've always wanted to be in front of people, like mm -hmm. playing instruments, uh, dancing professionally growing up, um, spoken word, like my first published book was a, a spoken word anthology. And I felt like I had such an interesting story to tell. I do have such an interesting story to tell, having gone through what I've gone through as a, as a young boy and have made something of myself. And I think the podcast exists now because there are some untold stories of amazing people who I know um, and who I don't know. And I'm just randomly like emailing people and randomly like Instagramming <laughs> people and saying, hey, would you like to be a part of my podcast? Because I feel like you have an amazing story. And just this idea of like connecting people is something I'm, I'm passionate about. Other than education, like I think just human interaction because and this is no shade to journalism and media but like we have lost uh the sense of like human interaction yeah and i love people just telling their story and inspiring other people through the things that they've gone through and so yeah. walking your excellence really exists for people who who just need some daily inspiration some some weekly pick-me-ups um who want to hear stories of like how did you become you know how did you drop out of gra graduate school and decide to start your own business how did you go from journalism to um hedge fund to to education like i think there's so many people who are trying to find themselves, especially young um, African-American Latinos in America, who need to hear the stories of people who have made it, so to speak. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of those things that you've overcome because mm -hmm. you have come quite a ways. Now, we, we talk about family, you yeah. know, and the impact of a childhood. You often had to be a leader growing up mm. uh, with eight siblings yeah, being the head. Talk to me about what you learned through mm. having to be the leader in your family and how that came about. Yeah. Oh, my God. What do I learn? I guess I'm still trying to figure out what I learned. You know, it was really interesting. I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago in Austin, and we did a, a team builder. And one of the questions from the team builder was like, what did, What would you change about your childhood? Mm -hmm. And my first, my first thought was like, 
I would change nothing, right? Because my childhood made me so resilient. I had to be a leader really early and it was, you know, tough love and all those things that make me who I am today, like very perseverant. And then I, I stood back and I didn't share this in the team build. I was like, I don't really know y'all. I'm not trying to get that deep. But the answer was like more love. Mm. And I would have loved to have more love. Someone loving on me and saying like, you are amazing. You are excellent. You are going to be someone. And, and granted, like I'm not going to paint my childhood, which was really, really challenging as this, like I did have a, an, uh, my grandmother who loved the hell out of us and right. like, like was the back, it still is the backbone of my, of my family. And you were raised um, by your, your I was grandmother, by right? My you grandmother. said your parents weren't necessarily in the picture. Not at up. all. Not at all. So we, we did have her love. Right. And we had, um, you know, my aunt who she was the most successful person in our family and she had a GED, like, you know, got a GED and like got a job and worked her way up. And those are the only two examples of, uh, of us getting the love that we needed. But I learned throughout my childhood that I don't know, it really sucked. We just had to like toughen up and just do it mm. like I, I learned that like you just have to like keep pushing no matter what and regardless of the circumstance like you gotta just keep going and that's a hard thing to come to a realization when you're like nine years old and you're growing up in poverty and you know you have food stamps back then we didn't have the little ebt car we had physical food stamps and right. you're going to the store and you think that that's money and those realizations that you get at 10 years old, it's, it's, it's hard. You don't really understand it. But everyone around you, you know, where I grew up is the, is the same, right? You look the same. You're in the same school. You're in the same struggle. Um, and it doesn't feel different. And it wasn't until I got older and I saw what difference looks like. I saw and I became like the minority, you know, in, in the classroom. I became this outsider. And I was like, there's this entire world that I didn't even know about. And what I learned, I think, ultimately was that education is the key mm. like as cliche as it sounds like education was the was the key I remember having to like w we had state-owned textbooks in elementary school and I used to go to school and see kids wrap their books in like we called them book socks but they were fabric and they were colorful right. and they were nice paper yeah whatever. and we had yeah we had to wrap ours in like brown paper bag mm -hmm. and I was like I want my books wrapped in something colorful and cool and we couldn't literally afford like fabric coverings for our state-owned textbooks mm. and that really sticks out for me like that visualization and that feeling I had in fourth grade of like not having really pushed me to in invest myself in like learning and in reading and I noticed that around me no one had education my mother started having us at super super early dropped out of high school father dropped out of high school um, grandmother uh, had her first child at 14 in the south we're talking in like the, the 40s 50s and no one had graduated from high school no one had graduated from college and I told myself in fifth grade I'm going to be the first one I'm yeah. going to go to high school I'm going to graduate from high school I'm gonna go to college don't know how it's looking or what that means but this is what I I know that everyone else is lacking and if I want something different uh, I have to do it. And I, I always think back to The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which is my favorite TV show. And I'm thankful now that like, that I am like the Uncle Phil for mm -hmm. my family, right? But growing up, you know, I always wanted to be, I was the Will, and I always wanted to like, escape this like harsh reality which was my life growing up in poverty and I just imagine having like this rich uncle in California that I can live with and have cousins like Carlton and Hillary and Ashley and just like live this more amazing life but my my childhood taught me that like that was TV right and so everyone's life is not like you're, you're you have to play the best hand that you've been dealt mm -hmm. and all my life I've sort of turned you know trash into cash right yeah and that's who I am yeah. Oh, you've definitely done it. Yeah. I mean, when I look at your bio, you've got everything from the hosting down to being an author, yeah. you know, publishing a book, uh, 
being a principal and an educator yeah. and again like you said being somebody who's really a rock for your family mm-hmm. and being a performer you know you've just you've found ways to shine and to walk in your truth in all of those yeah. instances talk about how you've overcome some of the the mm-hmm. harder aspects because you you recently dealt with a tragedy of mm-hmm. losing a sibling mm-hmm. and this is not even a, a year yeah. after having dealt with another yeah. you know so so talk to me about your losses and how you found strength in your losses yeah oh god loss i've i felt like i've lost so much right um growing up we had an aunt who lived with us and um back then we didn't know anything except what we listened to our grandmother like you just do what your grandmother told you to do and like there were certain plates we couldn't eat off certain forks that we couldn't eat off and like we had to like figure out when we got into the tub and was it clean and I didn't understand all of that until later I became aware of the fact that like the aunt that was living with us and we're talking the early 90s had AIDS and so back then obviously you know AIDS was like this thing you can don't touch the person who had AIDS don't like get too close don't kiss and my grandmother had all those stigmas associated with it and she didn't know like right. she didn't we know, know different we now know different but then now. it was different time yeah and so growing up we couldn't do certain things and we didn't understand why and I remember when I was 11 she had lived with us for for many years 11 years old um we we watched her like have her last seizure mm-hmm. and and that was my first loss and I still was very young, didn't really know what death was and, you know, figuring that out at 11 years old. Um, and and my, my family prepped us because she had this disease that we didn't know about, but we knew that we were going to lose her. Then 15, which is probably like the, the hardest, the hardest loss we faced. Um, I was in a, a car accident and my my uncle died in my arms. I was sitting right next to him in this car accident. And um, that that probably was really the most challenging time because I was already I had just transferred to a new school. Um, I was repeating the ninth grade, and so I didn't want to do that either. And it, it just came at a bad time. It was on Thanksgiving Day. We were actually on our way to go see my mother, who was in a drug rehabilitation program at the time, and just like a bad argument going wrong in the car, bad decisions made. Um, you know, uh, I believe it was like a. Well, how many wheels? A twelve-wheeler truck just hit us from behind, and wow. and and uh, I shouldn't even be here. I really shouldn't be here. We were literally um, sitting this close to each other in the back seat where you are, Natasha, and um, he he died. I was ejected from the car, and it was it was terrible. And so I wrote about some of that in my book. Uh, and the the most immediate um, was having my younger brother killed recently, just a, a couple weeks ago, and. That really just, I think that's been like the, the toughest thing to deal with. My brothers, my brothers and sisters are, are really, really hurt over it. Um, and it's, it happened in Jersey City, and it's just another black man killed, you know. And he's a, he's a father as yeah, well. Yeah, he's a father, a father of two. And so we have, you know, two, two children who, you know, I, I, of course, will step in to be the father, but they'll never have that. And we never had a father, and he was a great father, you know. Uh, and I, me and him talking about, like, how great of a father – like we were both gonna be because we we lacked. Uh, it, it pains me that they that two children will never have that experience of having their father, you know, take them to their first dance, like get them ready for their first date, like teach them their first lesson. And throughout all of this, I'm a like I'm a strong believer in God. My family were raised in the church, and so. I, I take all of my troubles to him and know that it's going to be okay, but it's hard, right? That doesn't, you know, alleviate the tears. That doesn't like alleviate the p- the pain. 
But I think that even this this podcast, Walking Your Excellence, came out of pain because I know my brother loved me so dearly and supported everything that I did and wanted me always to be on the stage. And so I think vicariously, the stories that are being told um, are all the stories that he would be sitting with his daughters wanting to hear in the future. Absolutely. I'm yeah. sure that his, his spirit in many ways will still be connected to mm-hmm. this podcast and the good that comes from it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you talk about finding finding God in, in the tragedies. Yeah. How have you found inspiration hmm. to go after your dreams yeah. so you're you're a kid you know growing up in new york city mm-hmm. you got eight siblings a lot of responsibility you know that you want to be out front uh at the same time you're dealing with d- disparities whether mm-hmm. it be income disparities or lack of resources and yet you get to cornell university yeah how yeah. how did that how? happen good question i'm still trying to figure that out i think, <laughs> I think just like I wanted more. Like I tell a lot of my frat brothers, it's so funny. There was a stage in my life, I believe like in 2011, 2012, that was like my hashtag. I want more. I want more. And it became a joke amongst me and my friends of like, oh, here we go. Sean is like, he wants to start a business. He wants to open a lounge. He wants to do this. He wants to do that. He wants to publish a book. So many crazy ideas I've come up with, but I always have wanted just just more. I just, I love like impacting people and just talking to people and being a figure of hope. Honestly, like who would have thought like a a black man growing up to, you know, a a grandmother with so many siblings in poverty, uh, like Section 8, welfare, rats and roaches, project buildings, um, mother heavily addicted to drugs, father abandoned us uh, at birth, would grow up, like you said, to to become an Ivy League graduate, to get multiple degrees thereafter, to become a principal at 26, to be a published author. Like God has truly blessed me. How was really like internal motivation like I can't describe it as anything other than that I remember as a kid I now ran track in high school like always wanting to run like I would be so upset I'm like I'm just gonna go running like I'm leaving the house and I'm actually gonna go to the park and I'm just gonna do some sprints I'm gonna go run a couple miles and ultimately that made me a track star in high school I still have records there I'm a marathoner now I love going out and running and that started as like running away from my problems Hmm. but also running towards my goals wow and I just like I use that visualization or that imagery of just like running and seizing the moment and going out there and socializing and impacting uh, how I did it was really like picking myself up for the boot stats. I, I can't, I want to be honest and I'll be honest with all my guests in the world. I became detached from my emotions for many, many years and I'm still working on that. It's a coping thing. Yeah. A it's lot like, of, I don't have feelings do like, no, I don't have feelings. I'm not a feeler. Like even my staff, you know, every year I start professional development off and I tell people who are interviewing for me, who's going to work for me. I don't have feelings. I don't deal well with feelers. Like, Life is tough. Get through it. Suck it up, uh, which is not the best approach, right? When I have 117 staff members and they all have a you know different learning styles, um, you have to have an adaptive leadership style. You have to have an adaptive mindset in general. But for a long time, I became in college. I was angry, mm. like I was borderline mean. I was rude. I was blunt. I grew up in a, a radical candor environment. Like my grandmother was just like said anything that was on her mind well you know a lot of anger is rooted in pain right yeah and that's what that's it's what an it expression was. of pain yeah in that, many ways that's what it was i was fighting in school often you couldn't look at me wrong you couldn't step on my shoes like i was aggressive and i'm still very aggressive right i've toned it down i'm a professional now thank god um <laughs> but those were like all of my ways to like deal with it and so that was how 
And ultimately, like I, I got to this realization that you can't be that way. And like, how do you turn this pain into inspiration? How yeah. do you turn this anger into like motivating to pushing to inspiring people uh, to be the best version of themselves? And I'm sure when you see students who display those yeah. same traits, you can see yourself in oh them, but it gives you a sense of empathy as an educator. Mm -hmm. talk, talk about why it's important for you to be a black man in education, because man. right now only 2%, 2%. nationally, yep. the number is it's just astonishingly low and we need black men not as disciplinarians, mm -hmm. not to necessarily be fathers or, or yep. you are professionals mm -hmm. and you have something to offer education. Absolutely. Why, what is your calling in education? Yeah, I like, I wake up every single day like ready to slay. Like I walk into that school building as, 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 as an inspiration, as like a, a figure of hope, as a role model. Um, yup, I can be the father. Yes, sometimes I can be the disciplinarian, but at the end of the day, I'm the principal of hundreds of high school students in one of America's most marginalized cities. And for kids who see that and to see that I'm young and to see that I like, I'm, I'm still with it. Yup, I can still dance better than you. Yup, I can tell you to sit down. I can laugh with you. I can make you cry. I can suspend you if needed. No, you, you know? said better, okay? <laughs> Not as good. He said dance better. <laughs> And he's right about that. Yeah, and the kid and the kids love it because I bring. You know, when I think about my principles, I like old white men, right? right? Like I don't, I don't even know. I can't even name some of my any of my principles. Honestly, just sitting here thinking about it and knowing that I'm impacting lives and knowing that I get to hand like almost two hundred students in June their diploma from high school. Something that so many black and brown children across America don't ever get it's important for them to see that it's coming from someone who looks like them. Like, I, it's it's pains me that like, I, I'm gonna get real right here, there are so many white architects of black education, mm -hmm. right? When we think about charter schools, when we think about CEOs and, and like, to call it a spade a spade, am I ever gonna be like the CEO of some of the most well-renowned charter school organizations? Probably not because of the way society is set up, right? It doesn't look like me, the higher you get. The fact that I'm a black male principal of a high school, like high school, charter, charter high schools in general, like we've gotten elementary kind of right. We're still figuring out middle school, charter schools in high school area, totally not figured out it's a different ball yep. game and to see a black man as a leader in one of america's most dangerous cities kids are like wait how did you do that i can do that how do you de deal with this situation like what and like I'm, I'm at home mr stevens i leave and like no one can help me with my homework no one's there like i don't know what to eat and i'm like let me sit down and talk to you about some of my struggles and how i overcame them and know that you coming here every day and investing in yourself is going to change all that. And they need to hear that coming from someone who actually looks like them and who actually weathered the storm and went through the same or similar struggles that they're going to. It's not theoretical, baby. It's all yeah. real yeah. life, real it's living. Real life. You know, we cannot leave today without asking you how yeah. you walk in your excellence. You touched on it yeah. in a lot of ways yeah. between organizing and producing this podcast mm -hmm. to, again, writing books, public speaking, yeah. the work that you're doing in schools here in America. Mm -hmm. But how are you walking in excellence mm -hmm. as a man, as a man, as a black man? Yeah. You know, how do you feed your soul and, and make that come through every day? Wow, that is, I, I'm so used to asking people how they walk in their excellence. I never thought um, how I walk in mine. You know, I, and this is just recent, how I walk in my excellence every day is really being unapologetically myself. Like, I am uh, a black gay man in America who is a principal of a high school who has crazy color hair 
and like the people still think I'm like 21 years old and I am okay with that. I'm okay to walk into a boardroom where sitting around the table of multi-million dollar people who don't look like me and if I need to turn on the Ivy League, I can, right? But I walk in just being myself. I'm not turning anything on. The Sean that you get is the Sean that you get no matter what. And because of that, people see my authentic self every day and they know that it's genuine. They know that it's real. They know that what I say is what I mean, that I'm not just going to talk the talk. I will walk the walk. And it's important that my kids see that. It's important that other people see that who are like struggling with who they are and like code switching and et cetera. I believe in like being myself every moment of the day and that's what makes me powerful that that's what makes me excellent uh and so that's how i walk in my excellence being myself Uh, i think we cannot leave without digging further into this idea of acceptance yeah and you know whether it be around sexuality or identity Mm -hmm. how did you come to a point where you accepted yourself so Mm. you could walk unapologetically yeah was it a journey was it a moment a series of moments how did that Good come together question. for you wow i would have to say it it's been a series of moments like i think think thank you for saying that because i think it wasn't this this epiphany i ran for it for a year I mean, and this is just recent this is maybe two to three years i ran from who i was knew who i was like since since birth knew who i was but always like growing up in the church like wanting to run from it like standing at the altar and crying and asking god to take it away like you know these feelings or whatever have you and i would say maybe around 27 28 i said i'm being a coward like people are going to love me hopefully for who i am like nothing has changed when i tell my grandmother when i tell my mother when i tell my brothers and sisters when i tell all my friends like nothing's going to change calling a spade a spade you're probably talking about it anyway it's not a you know it's not <laughs> something that you can aggressively hide but i think ultimately i wanted to just be myself and once i told people it was like a, like literally i felt so light i felt like i could run three marathons back to back i felt like I can be myself. I can talk about, about the things I want to talk about. Um, and it, I was scared, scared out of my mind, especially to tell some of my very close frat brothers, you know, I'm in a black fraternity. And like, what does that mean for, for some, you know, a, a black gay man? But I, I, I was tired of being a coward. And that's how I felt. I was like, I'm hiding. And I wanted to come out of the quiet. I wanted to come out of like, not the closet, but like I don't even believe in sort of like coming out because I don't think that heterosexuals have to do that. But I wanted to simply be myself and be powerful and tell this other aspect of me that opens up a different layer and intersectionality of who I am that actually makes me more powerful. Mm-hmm. Like not only am I a black man who in America, which is like a, a sub-marginalized community of a sub-marginalized community, I now am like a black gay man, which makes me even more sub-marginalized, but also makes me very powerful, right? Because the stereotypes and the the deficit-based narrative that has been created about the black man and about gay men in general and then about the black gay man, I am now standing as a living example of someone who every day is working towards creating an asset-based narrative and showing everyone how powerful, how intellectual, how you don't have to be this flamboyant, like out here waving the rainbow flag every, and no shade to those people. Like that's that's what you want to do. And I can do that sometimes. I'm not I'm going to lie and say like in July, I'm not out there at the pride parade, but that but I'm, I'm always just being myself and I don't feel like I have to change for anybody at this point in my life. And it's never been more fulfilling and gratifying and and inspiring only for myself that I can see young boys 
in high school who I know are going through this, who don't know that they're going through it just yet, see me and come to me and still level me. It, it's it's so empowering because for I'm in education, so it's to be a black gay man in education as a principal with high school kids. Like not everyone is like, oh, you know, that's we're okay with that. Not that's an act okay. of bravery as well to exactly. walk in that courage. Yeah, as and, well. And so to see the kids who are just like, oh, Mr. Stevens is gay. I didn't even know that. Okay, moving forward. Moving forward. <laughs> He's still a bomb. He's still slaying. And He's still getting results. Here He's still we are. running, <laughs> shutting things down, and lifting people up. And so it's important for me to share that story and to, to walk in that identity as well because of that, that also makes me excellent. Yeah, that is power right there. Yeah. Walking in your truth is power. Yeah. Sean Larry, oh, wow. <laughs> you, are, you are an inspiration. We thank you so much, and we're so glad to hear your story Thanks. as you're telling these stories. Yes. If you're tuning in to Walk in Your Excellence this week, listen to the, the lessons um, that Sean was talking about and really take them to heart and ask yourself how you want to walk in excellence. Yes. how you're already walking in excellence give yourself a pat on the back you know sometimes it feels like self-improvement can can feel almost like a stressor but you also have to celebrate yourself and celebrate your wins and uh, we're so happy to celebrate today yes. on this podcast thanks so much for tuning in thank you Walk in Your Excellence is recorded at Necessary Studios in New York City. Produced by myself, Maya, and Nikki. Follow us on Instagram at NEC Studios. I'm your host, Sean Larry. You can find me on Instagram at Formula22 at Walk in Your Excellence. Tag the hashtag Walk in Your Excellence and visit my website, www.seanlarry.com. That's S-E-A-N-L-A-R-R-Y. Define who you are, follow your passion, speak your truth, be unapologetically you, and always remember to walk in your excellence.